Well, hello everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year from uh, our entire staff here at Unanchored Boston. You're looking uh, at it. Yeah. And um, here we go. Last show of uh, 2023. Who would have thought, right? And as always, we're brought to you by Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course. And the great George Gray, the big wheel we call him at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. All right, Rob Lobel, Mike Lynch with you. And um, we're going to be joined shortly by Upton Bell. Uh, before that, Bob and I are going to uh, gab about a few things, take care of a few things, get a few thoughts off from our mind, and fire away. What do we got right there? I'm Bob. Yeah, it says, of you are. Yeah. Of course, it says, at the top, it says, it's ahead of that. It says, of course, I'm right. Oh. What do you got? No, I don't need that. Thanks. No, of, course I'm, of course, I'm right. I'm Bob. Okay. There you go. Or a nice thing in the uh, in the Globe magazine on Channel Four. Yeah, it was good. It was really really nice. To, uh, good to look back and good memories. I'm sure they were for you. Well, you know, it was I had a long talk with Jack Williams last night, um, and I hadn't talked to him in about a year, and uh, we did a lot of laughing and a little crying. And he said to say hi, Mike. He wished you the best. Good. That was, he said it more than once. He said, make sure you tell Lynchy I said hi. So I did. Yeah, he's a guy. Good guy. You know, you, not, you know, it, it's very rare you get so many people that are, that are so good at their job and that are even nicer people, you know. And, he's, uh, he's great. He's, he was, he's a funny guy. He's a very funny guy. We had a lot of laughs playing golf over the years. I'll tell you that. Yeah. yeah and uh, Liz, terrific person. And, um, it's great, you know, and the same with our people, you know, to chat. Of course. I mean, it's, it's, you know what? I kind of read that. It was on the Globe magazine, in the Globe magazine, and it's online. It'll come out in print on next Sunday, on New Year's Eve, in the Globe newspaper, in the Globe magazine. But I also read that, and I thought, that, thought he did a great job in writing it. But... It was about us, and of course I think it was a great job, but I'm thinking, well, if I'm Lynch or Natalie or Chet and I'm reading all this, and, you know, and the late Dickie, and uh, I'm saying, well, wait, wait a minute, we had a pretty good team too, and of course you did, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that was, this was just based on the 75th anniversary or whatever of the, of the first station. I remember, you know, you know, Channel 5 went through a lot of, angst when they moved over from the call letters and everything else that went on and how they became, you know, CBB is, you know, it was, it was, it was a shit show. Wait, yeah, wait. 1972. And, um, you know, we were all young once and it was all back. It all went so fast. You know what CBB stands for? I'm afraid to ask. C is channel, V is Roman numeral five, and B is Boston. It makes a lot of sense. Look, I worked there for about 30 years before I, I, I finally figured it out. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. It's good. Uh, speaking anyway. of which, uh, uh, not uh, only because I got this on my mind, I don't want to forget. Have you seen the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the series... Uh, Murder in Boston on Charles Stewart and Carol Demady. I, I have not seen it. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I've not seen it yet. I'm just kind of waiting it. 
Globe did a, an amazing series on that. Um, get, guess who the producer was? Barnacle? No. No. Our boy, Jason Hare. Really? Did Last Dance uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Um, I know that. We had him on. Intern for both of us. For Maybe we should have him on on this. Let's have him on on this. We should. We should. I know, we, I know we'd come on. Um, that'd be great. No, let's do that because I think that'd be fascinating. No, people right. don't know. Yeah, people don't know. I mean, the hours of pouring through old uh, news archives, just finding the shot that you want. To just It might be a, a five-second shot that you need to illustrate a point. And yeah. to find it, it's not easy. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, no, that's I got to do that must-watch thing. There's so many things out there, damn it. <laughs> I'm watching, watching Fargo. This Fargo is amazing, an amazing show. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like five episodes, and I haven't. So I started with the fifth episode because I just found out about it. And now I, I got to wait for the next episode to drop, and it drops today. And so the first, I am back to the first Fargo first series. It's amazing, just amazing. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is, there's so much stuff out there to watch. There's the Yogi Berra thing. There's oh yeah, what that? I want to see that. No, yeah. you're wrong. You'll love it. It's absolutely great. Um, I, I, really, I really like the way you're getting with the lingo, though. You, you said it drops today. Oh, all right. Well, it's, right. I know it's the lingo. It's the new streaming thing. Oh, before I go, any before I go, happy birthday to you too. Uh, three. This is December 27th, we're taping, and Birthday Boy was on December 24th, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, now, yeah. right, starting another trip around the sun. <laughs> so I was going to add all these things to talk to you about, starting with... Uh, Go ahead. Other, I had a whole list of people I wanted to get on between Mike Adams and Ron Borges and now Jason Hare. That hair, that'd be great to talk about this thing in Boston. Yeah. But I, you know, I have this whole list... Terry O'Reilly, Lee Montville, uh, Larry Johnson, Barnacle Ordway. Is, is a, but Jason Ayers right there at the top of the list. So when Upton comes on, I don't know, Michael. I get, I get. I even wrote down spring training, but does anybody really give a shit? No. 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 Huh? It's, no, because there's. There's, there's, there's nobody to look forward to seeing at spring training. Um, usually there's, you know, when Pedroia arrives, big deal. Big Poppy arrives, it's a big deal. Manny arrives, it's a big deal. Schilling arrives, it's a big deal. And then you, your cameraman has to be in 12 places at once. And you try to get that money shot, you know, and, you know, somebody might be just greeting somebody and somebody might be coming in the back door. Uh, Schilling would come in, always wearing an NFL jersey or a hockey jersey. And um, now it's like, who are these guys? You, you, you're taking your program, and you're looking to see who this guy is coming in, coming in the door. Thank God it's not uh, Verdugo. I'm not going to miss him. No one will miss him. No, but I, what a jerk, huh? Yeah. Who's a bigger jerk, Verdugo or uh, the guy um, that intercepted the pass for Oakland, scored a touchdown, went to give it to the little kid in the first row, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, that was pretty 
stupid. That was unbelievable. Played for the Patriots, didn't he? Jack Jones? Yes. Oh, he's a guy loaded gun at the airport. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had that video. I should have pulled, we should have made, pulled that stupid video to show. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy that had the wherewithal of showing up with loaded guns and ammunition at Logan Airport. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't the dummy, the district attorney that let him off. That, well, there's a whole, right, list of, list of things. Jack Jones. Oh, why can't we get players like that? <laughs> but the spring training, you know, the Bruins and Celtics, they just, they just go on and go on. I don't know what's going on with the Bruins, you know. Hey, we had a great game Christmas Eve. It was an unbelievable game. Yeah. Um, I know if people stayed up for it because, uh, you know, they might have to go to bed because Santa was going, but uh, – I was at my brother-in-law's house, and I left his house at halftime, and I taped the game. So I'm watching the game. I said, all right, oh, I was up two touchdowns. I got to go to bed. Now I'm going to watch this. So I was up at 1.30 in the morning and uh, watching that thing. And then the poor guy that couldn't even make an extra point drills one through from, what, 54 or something like that? But boom. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the guy was probably going to be cut. Um, for the last two games, and now he's the hero. Well, Bruins are making a. They got if they want to defend their president's cup, they're going to have to <laughs> kick it in gear. What's like more, it. what's more relevant, the president's cup or the in-season tournament for the NBA? Well, I, 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 if I were the Lakers, I'd be having a ceremony. Bring all the great guys back, like Magic and Jerry West and Kareem, right. Pat Riley, you know, and just celebrate that in-season tournament. Rambus, called the Rambus Cup. <laughs> we were sitting right there when Kevin McHale clotheslined Rambus. We, it happened right almost in our lap. Did. And we had great seats, and uh, it, it came right at us. And we, we just saw that. I don't think we realized what an historic moment we were, we were, we were watching, you know, because Every game kind of melts it together, you know. And but that you know was a series changer. Um, it was a, a thing that still lives on today. And we were right there. Rambus and Michael were running right at us, and we they couldn't have been more than ten feet away from us when all that stuff happened. And then and for some reason we were kind of celebrating. And the guy from the NBA, the vice president, came over and told us to stop it. <laughs> Brian McIntyre. <laughs> right, not no, no celebrating in the press box or no cheering or laughing, but we couldn't help it. It was such a great play. Yeah. Right, it was right in front of us. Hey, we should have trumpets. Da -da 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 Ladies and gentlemen. He's not out of yet. He's Mr. Upton Bell. Listen, I'll give you all your guests. I've been listening to the whole conversation. Now, here's somebody you want to get on, and I will contact him personally. He's coming out with a book. Oh. And he's one of the great coaches, players of all time in the NFL, Dick LeBeau. Oh, yeah. yeah. His story is unbelievable. I saw him when he played for the Lions. In that for huh? Go, oh, never mind. When he played in that, that, that great backfield, 
uh, and and he was uh, an amazing player. By the way, one of the last white players that played corner. There are no white players that play corner in the NFL today. Right. Haven't been for many years. But this guy coached into his, like, I, I think he's 80s or whatever it is. But he can take you guys back all the way to when it was what it was, really. Up, up then. You didn't, so, even let us, you, didn't, you didn't even let us introduce you. I'll, I'll, we were going to introduce you. Huh? You, you, just came, you just came out guns firing. I don't mean it. I don't mean it in the introduction. Are you kidding me? I mean that's 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 it. Oh, I want to say, Joanne, give me that picture. Right here. We all. By the way, Joanne O'Neill. Joanne O'Neill, my wife. You don't know this. She was one of the first women to ever get a job at the NFL with the Miami Dolphins, and she left to come back. Too bad for her. To the Patriots because Don Shula wanted to hire her as his top person. Really? She saw the whole NFL wrote, she wrote 27 teams and they all said, forget it. The Dolphins were the only ones that gave her a chance. She was really, all these other people that claimed that they were, Joanne was the first woman in pro football. I give you all these gems, you guys. You do. I know. You're just processing it. And you know the thing? I'm looking here at the, at the screen. It says Mike Lynch, first name, last name, Bob Lovell. But in front of you, you're like you're like Magic or Kareem or Ali. It just says Upton. That's all it says. Upton. That's all you need to know. That's all you need. <laughs> that, that's it. Which is another story before we get into all of this. Your mother's. Uh, 1957. The starting Malvern basketball team, Upton Bell, Paul Westhead, later to be coach of the Lakers. Yeah. Kelly, head of head of and the captain of Penn. Jim O'Brien, the captain of uh, of Villanova. Vince Wolfington, who played and was a captain of Georgetown with Paul Tagliabue. Wow. Five of the greatest that ever lived. <laughs> and, and it's funny, I got in touch with Westhead. That's another guy you, you want to get on. And the reason is <clears throat> that that whole uh, series that came out on HBO okay. really portrayed him yeah. in a, a completely wrong way. Yes, I agree. That wasn't Westhead. No, the Lakers thing was a joke. The Lakers series was a joke. It, 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 was, it was a joke. And I know the guy that wrote... Uh, the the screenplay and and the book on it, and the the whole thing about Jerry West. I I did meet and know Jerry West briefly to a friend of mine, Hot Rod Huntley, who was his buddy. Did the radio. I spent two evenings with Jerry West. He never cursed, and never picked up a drink. He I never he we sat and talked the game. He's among the nicest pre people I've ever met in, in this business. Yep, I and agree. when I saw that portrayal with all the Fs and all the other stuff, I said, yes. it's bullshit. It's ridiculous. So there are a lot of myths that I could bust. With you. How, many, how, many, 
How many points did you average when you were at Malvern Prep? How many points per game? 16 points per game. Which is about well, like. that wasn't the highest score. Westhead was. Yeah. Which is like scoring about 30 today, right? Absolutely. Now, I, I believe it or not, at that time before I shrunk, I could dunk a basketball. Oh, at, come on. No, I could. Really? I, I could. Well, we, well, we, five, well, a 5'11". I could I could dunk a basketball, and the coach came to me and said, "Don't do that anymore." He said because you'll bring the rim down, and he said you're going to have to pay for it. Malvern Prep will not pay for this crap that you're doing. That was the end. You're like Daryl Dawkins, you know. Yeah, I'm telling of, you, a lot of similarities here. <laughs> Let me just uh, let me just re- kind of stir this uh, conversation over to. It seems like every game, every team, in its own particular way, has become some kind of a show, some kind of a soap opera. Every team, every game is a soap opera now, and the biggest soap opera of all is twenty miles down the road. Foxborough. I mean, if you want a soap opera, what's going on with the Patriots is about as soap opera-ish as you possibly can get. You can't it's make probably, it up. Everybody it, talks about it every day. Every day. Well, let, let me first take you behind the scenes as a former owner of a team and try and give you a perspective of what's happening here versus the things that I dealt with. I'm not saying they're completely the same. Uh, Bam, let me make sure that Mike, as Mike wanted to say, former general manager of the New England Patriots, hired by Billy Sullivan, and back when the world was flat, basically, was when you hired. Were... Hi, you're right. Hired and fired. And before that, the personnel director with Don Shula of the Baltimore Colts, and in, in that 1971 championship Super Bowl game, 17 of the players that I personally drafted were starters on that team. And that's how I ended up getting the job here. Well, of course, and, and your father was the first commissioner of the National Football League and instituted the draft. And we'll talk more about that when we have time. But let's go back to this shit show that exists down the road. All right. Let, 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 let me get into it and give you insight. You're not going to get on all of these channels where everybody pretends like they know what's going to happen. (laughs) In 1974, I bought the New York stars, took them to Charlotte, North Carolina, and they became the Charlotte Hornets. My first year coach was Babe Pearlie, who I absolutely loved sweetheart of a guy. But by the end of the season, I decided that, he wasn't the guy that I thought could lead this team, if if the league lasts, could lead this team on to, to a, a better situation. He was too nice, too close to the, the players. He, he had a lot of terrific knowledge. You would love the guy if you met him, but I felt like it was time to move on, and I did. I, I, I did the painful thing. At the end of the year, I fired a person I liked a lot and brought in Bob Gibson, 
who was a disciplinarian, tough, terrific coach, ended up going to the New York Giants and unfortunately took the blame for the for the fumble by Larry Zaga and was fired along with John McVay, who went on to the 49ers. But what I learned and what I could apply to this was that uh, it's not easy to fire a coach whether you like him or not. And there are many things that go into it. But what I also found out, and we'll apply to here in a minute, is when you have made that decision, you don't go back on it. You don't second guess yourself. You go through and you pull the trigger. Now, how does it relate to here? Let me go back again. In 1972, I got a call. I had not met him yet from Bob Kraft to come to his house to meet, get this, Martina Navratilova, uh, because he had bought a world team tennis team and he wanted people to come over and socialize. Uh, by the way, I loved his wife. If his wife was there now, we'd have had a decision. But, and, and getting to know him over a period of years until he stopped speaking to me, is and, and Bob, you know that situation too. Is that there are two things one, he hates controversy, he does, he doesn't want when it becomes too much, he really hates it. Two, uh, he loves publicity, and somewhere between being on some television show every 10 seconds. And also the idea of now having to fire the most successful person, people say in NFL history, I disagree. Uh, I think this, I think he had set out to fire him. I think he laid out the plan starting at the league meetings a couple of years ago. Kraft never directly attacks or deals with you. Jonathan Kraft would have you beheaded, but Bob Kraft would be the guy that would come in and want to make, and would take a di very difficult time. He's very old school in wanting to fire you. So he now looks at it. He got talked into getting rid of Brady. Biggest mistake he ever made in his career. Biggest mistake. Uh, he, he let himself be overrun by Belichick. And, and forever will be remembered as the owner who let Brady go. So now you have the confluence of a guy that I think has made up his mind, pushed into it somewhat by his son, Jonathan Kraft. And I understand why. I'm more with Jonathan Kraft than I am with Bob. And, and now what happens? Belichick wins a couple of games. It's really easy if you go on and never win another game. But he pulls one out in Pittsburgh, and, and he's got a dramatic victory. And I heard you and Lynchy talking before the show, and it was. I, I You know, I tuned in uh, with no expectation. I found myself again rooting for the Patriots, and I don't root for anybody. What was a better story on Christmas Eve than this story? So now you've got a guy that says to himself, I haven't said anything. 
I pretty much made up my mind. But knowing craft, don't be surprised if, and this is the big if, if Belichick agrees to uh, having a front office, which they always should have had, don't be surprised if Kraft announces he's coming back. How, how does he do this? He wants to be, always remember this, more than Belichick, Kraft wants to be remembered in many different ways. He didn't get into the Hall of Fame yet. He still hopes he can get into the Hall of Fame. He's out everywhere. He was on CNN last night, the night before, uh, talking about the situation of anti-Semitism. He loves being seen in his box. He even has high chairs so he can look out over everybody else. There's that element to him. And you know what? I find nothing wrong with any of this. But in the end, I think at this moment, he is really torn. And, and therefore, I would say it could go either way. I think he's going to fire him. But it's not 100% guaranteed. I, I, I agree, Upton. I don't, anybody who thinks they know what's going to happen is not telling the truth. Because I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. Um, there's all kinds of scenarios. And Robert is the only one who knows what's going to happen. And we'll know in 10 days. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. Because the one thing that I think that he thinks in his mind, and I think it's foolishness, is that if he can come into the room and say, look, Bill, especially if they win one of the last two games, if they give Buffalo a good game, and I think they will, by the way. I mean, I really like that defense. The offense is pathetic, but I like that defense. But he's got all this stuff going now, whether you like uh, the quarterback or not. He has made them look like a professional team in spite of the worst offense. That that offensive line of the Patriots is the worst so, I have ever seen. So let me ask you this. Yeah, it, it's really bad. So let me ask you this about Pittsburgh and Denver. Do you think it's more of the Patriots winning those two games as opposed to Pittsburgh and Denver losing the, those two games? I mean, what? how good is Denver if they had to lose to the Patriots at home in a game they had to totally win? Are you telling me the Patriots played well against uh, against Denver? Did they play well against Pittsburgh? I didn't, I didn't see that. I must have been watching another game. because I wouldn't give them credit for winning a close games. I give those other teams bad marks for losing those close games. Well, I, I, I would say it's a little bit of both. And here, here's a, a bigger picture of the NFL. And I've been called by historians all over the country to ask me what I think about the NFL now versus even 20 years ago. And I said, the NFL now, uh, there, there are at least 16 really, really mediocre teams. And, and the only way, there are very, very few definitive victories. One was the other night when the Ravens beat the 49ers. They beat the shit out of them in every single way. But if you look at most of the games, the game earlier in the day, Kansas City, what a screw up. I mean, uh, the, Ra the Raiders might be, along with the Patriots, two of the worst teams in the league. So what I'm getting around to is saying, you're right, Bob, 
on one hand, but on the other hand, that's the league the way we know it today. Mediocrity reigns, and if you can be a little bit better than the mediocre team you're playing, you're pretty good. So they, I give them credit for that. I also really give them credit for this. Being on teams and around situations where I've seen teams totally quit. If ever a team could quit in the middle of the controversy, not knowing what's going to happen to the head coach, and not knowing what's going to happen to the assistants, this is the best. They never won another game. I will give them credit for this. They never quit. There, there, there were hardly any dogs in that building. And that is most unusual. That's a fair statement. Um, I don't know what you think about it, Mike, but, um, and I guess both of you, the league's got it all, and this is what they wanted. This is parity. This is parity at its, at its ultimate. When every team is 500, that's that's ultimate parity. Not not Not, 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 no, not good, but it had that was what their goal is. But but not good, but but good because not only is every team capable of beating every other team, it's this point of the season when they've added more playoff spots, more teams. It's like the Red Sox; they're like conditioned for they of dreams, you know, field of dreams. The dreams are that they're going to make the playoffs. It's not based on any reality, but some of these teams still have a shot at the playoffs and therefore their fan base is sucked into believing they they got to watch every game. And I just think it's the perfect storm for the NFL. They control everything. They control almost everything in our society. You know, forget Gaza, forget Ukraine, forget the climate change. It's the NFL that rules over everything right now. Well, they, they, they have taken over Christmas, Easter, New Year's. I mean, everything, but just remember something that I watch very closely, and I'll give you an example. I watch everything. I am a sucker for watching it all. Not that I love it, because a lot of it turns me off uh, for, for what I see. It's a lot of bullshit that they're putting out there. But watch the ratings. Let's see long run what the ratings say. Monday night, Thursday night. Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday night, <clears throat> Peacock, Amazon. Now, I, I get Amazon and it stinks. The games stink. Finally, I said, when they promote Saturday night, you can get this game exclusively, the Bills and the Chargers on Peacock. You know what I said? Screw Peacock. I ain't paying for it. This is the first time in my unillustrious career that I said, screw Peacock. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'll watch it's the like highlights. Somebody comes to your house and says, stick them up. You're being, it's like somebody it's, comes in and says, stick them up to your house. That, that, that's what I do. Here is my prediction. Long after I'm gone and you guys are still doing your thing, you can remember that Upton Bell told you that someday the Super Bowl on internationally 
it'll cost you $25 a piece or more to watch the game. They are moving towards all paid TV. Uh, they can get away with certain things. But that's the other thing that brings up here is I watch owners going from when I was a kid all the way to the ones today. The ones in the past, I'm not saying they were any better or any worse. They had a semblance of a feeling for the game that the money that came in wasn't as important to them as growing the league and having the game. Now you have the David Teppers of the world. You have, you have people that have come in and bought the franchises who are business people. They want the bottom line. What, what is the one thing that the commissioner of football wants? He keeps, doesn't talk about how great the game is, how we're growing the game. He talks about, we plan by so-and-so time to uh, go to $50 billion for this league. That's the bottom line. Combined with still a big danger, they don't realize it yet, to taking in gambling. And I, I am so sick of whether I care for gambling or not. Every telecast leads off with gambling, gambling, gambling. Everybody's got a show on it. You know what? I, let me just point out one thing in the National Hockey League. It's, it's not only NFL, it's every league. But the National Hockey League, between periods, they offered, if there's a major fight, major penalty, you can bet. This is the announcer selling out. You want to bet on whether there's going to be a major penalty in this period. I don't know if you saw it or not. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> like the ultimate. But that's but that's that's where we are. Everybody has a gambling show. There was some guy they showed on on uh, ABC last night on their news, uh, and and he had put five dollars down on a combination of how many touchdowns would be scored. He won five hundred thousand dollars, and so the NFL would promote that. But it's it's. It's somewhere along the line. Here's the witch's brew. The gambling, the constant TV, the siphoning off of it. And more importantly, look around the country. Less and less and less high schools are playing football, particularly in Texas. The NFL is smart. They've jumped into flag football. And that's another thing I think you'll see someday with the game now being played on the outside. Lynch, you were a quarterback. Bob, you played in high school. Watch where the game is played. It's not played inside. It's played outside. And, and that, I think, someday will be some form of what you see. Don't you is think that, it was really kind of appalling that even some of the local schools didn't have to cancel games because they didn't have enough players? In high school, when have you ever heard that they've had to cancel games because they didn't have enough players to play? Two reasons. Soccer. Soccer is one reason. And um, uh, the other reason is, um, what the hell were they going to say? Oh, a lot of parents uh, are really, you know, when the, when the kids get to that age, 9, 10 years old, I don't want them playing football. I don't want them getting hurt in his head. I don't want him getting his, his knees screwed up so they – they play another sport. 
instead instead of football, and that's one of the big problems. Well, it, it, it is. The NFL has gotten into all of those different leagues, but look at the Pro Bowl. My father founded the Pro Bowl. That's when people needed to make money, and they continued it on ad nauseum. And now, what is it? It's flag football. It's all these uh, all this other crap. Uh, but they they think that they have an audience that will look at it because nothing else. But I again, I I warn people. They keep saying it'll never happen, but it's like everything else. Give people too much of anything. And sooner or later, they'll say, okay, I'm going to watch that game. No, you're right. It's, it's happening already. I feel it already. I, I, I absolutely am in that place that you're describing right now. It's like, okay, three games. I'm not watching three games a day. I'm not. I got a, I got a life, not much of a life, but it's a life. <laughs> okay, I, before we talk about the officiating and the injuries to quarterbacks, in the NFL, I need to read something that makes it all possible that we can continue to talk. So just hang on for a second. Okay. Campers, I'm talking about campers. Okay, gather around, campers. Get ready for 2024. That's it, with a new RV. Uh, Cold Springs RV has the latest in pop-ups, travel trailers, fifth-wheelers, and motorhomes. So when you need an RV or service, Get to Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire, which is just west of Goffstown. Where? West of Goffstown and north of Haverhill. I have a name of a street from Goffstown uh, called Upton Lane that I prolonged off of, of a telephone pole and gave it to my partner Upton, Upton Lane. They haven't come and asked for it back yet. And I'm lucky I didn't they get it. They getting it back because it's in the Upton Bell collection. Hey, I, you know, I could have been, you. Wait a minute, I could have been electrocuted getting it, by the way. So when you need an RV or service, get the Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire, like I said, west of Goffstown. Go check out all the Winnebago access travel trailers now on their lot. So don't forget to tell them Moby, Mike Lynch sent you, and Upton as well. Learn more at ColdSpringsRV.com. Now, Mike, I did think he asked you a question, Upton about this in the past, but we're going to continue our tradition and ask it again, because perhaps you'll make a, a different choice. Go ahead, Mike. All right. I'll, I'll be, here we, here we go. Um, we've asked this before, but I'll, I'll refresh it for you. Um, Cold Springs RV, great sponsor. We love them. Um, they're in the process of building a, a low cruiser, like the Madden cruiser. You no know, Madden wouldn't fly. They built them a bus. So we're going to build an RV for Lobel. It's called a low cruiser. And each one of our guests on the show gets to use the, the uh, Lobby Cruiser for a week. You get to drive cross-country. We'll fly you back from L.A. or San Francisco. Uh, but you have to pick someone to ride shotgun with you, someone you want to have a conversation with. It could be someone um, deceased, someone from the past, someone from the Bob Kraft. could be Bob Kraft. He doesn't speak be, to you anymore, and I want to speak to it you. It could be anybody that you desire to ride shotgun cross-country with for a week. Who would it be? I'm still sticking with my story, Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, I mean, there's the, there's the story of the year. She, she's going to dump him. Um, and, and she's why, so... Why, because she already has a tight end? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my reason is, first of all, I know, I know where she lives because I used to go to the beach 
in Rhode Island and looked up on her mansion. I mean, here's a person other than Joanne that I've longed for forever. But I think I have a shot, whereas Kelsey doesn't. See, I'm not looking for anything. And I'm at the end of my life. So <laughs> she's got nothing to lose. She stays with me, maybe, you know. She's okay, well, you she have, on her side. She doesn't sure, even have to dump me. I'm sure you're both great conversationalists and stuff. Plenty to talk about. It's a great idea. You know, you know no, that she could write a song about me. She could. The Uptown Downtown Show, all around <laughs> America. <laughs> Think about that. So what if I call it when I dumped in Upton? Yeah. <laughs> tell your advertiser, and I I love his thing. Arrange it. Taylor and Upton. This is it. A trip to the light fantastic. All right. What about, let's stop talking about tight ends and talk about officiating in the league and all about, you know, quarterback injuries and stupid uh, passer protection injuries that uh, uh, roughing the passer things that, I just are, seem to be mucking up the whole flow of the game. There is no flow of the game anymore. It's every game's every play's got a flag on it. Well, it's not only that. There's like five minutes worth of commercials. You know, you 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 get that, you get the timeouts. Here again, let me take you back and and try to give your audience perspective. Going all the way back into the '40s, when my father uh, actually. Uh, put a guy by the name U.L. Shorty Ray in charge. He has, actually is in the Hall of Fame now and, and told him that uh, let the game flow. The officials you have, you're going to miss calls. There are going to be things, but let the game flow. Don't get too technical. Ironically, by the way, we're on our way out to the Chicago Bears training camp in 1946 as kids, and, and Shorty Ray... I knew we were, the league was in trouble. Shorty Ray was driving the car, and every red light he went through, and every green light he stopped. And I called my father and said, "This goddamn guy can't see. He's <laughs> going to be—he's colorblind. Yeah, and he's going to be head of officials." But the whole—the whole idea was, I think, with the instant replay. It changed everything because now to the point now where you can see it so well. I I have a 65 inch set. High definition of it. High huh? definition. High, high def. def. High def has changed everything. Everything. High def. I've got a second set. I'm going to add a third set. And I can tell you for the first time, and you guys have played, I can see the whole field now. I can almost yell out to you what I think that defense is because I can see where the safeties are. I can see what the alignment is. I can see who's blitzing. Also, yeah, so, so what my, my point is this, Bob and Mike, is that the officials now are under such pressure because the big eye in the sky can see everything that they call. And therefore, I think they've become either hesitant or overprotective, particularly with the quarterback. You know what? One time in the 60s, you could hit the quarterback after the play and tough shit. 
you know, that that was it. Now, they've refined the rules so much now. Who the hell knows what a catch is? Who the hell knows when a quarterback gets hit? What is the story? If they're, if they're, if they're designed to protect the quarterback, why? Uh, what's happening, Mike? I'm getting something. Go ahead. Okay. It's not a good look, actually. I know. That's my... Uh, well, I mean, it's not a bad look, but I'm just, you know, it's not the trailer. Wait, 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 you see what I got. Okay. I'm just saying, why, how come if they spent so much time protecting the quarterback's injuries, uh, why are they getting injured so much? They spent all this time on protecting quarterbacks. You've oh, come yeah. to the doctor. You've come to the doctor of football philosophically. And that is this. See this? Something you see, you see what Mike's holding up? President I see it. President of the Creator. Me and Moses. So, Thank you, Mike. That, That's by the way, I was reaching the top shelf for it. That okay. was taken. That was taken where you played all your football. Yeah, that I know. As at Harvard Stadium. Yes, it was. So, so here, here is the thing. Is that where MIT blew up that balloon at the uh, Harvard Yale game? Uh, yes, it was. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so what what has happened is. And I knew it right away. When I went to training camps all the way up through the 70s, you hit practically every day. You had six preseason games, sometimes seven. Your players didn't have to play full time, but they got they learned how to hit every day. When the Players Association made a deal with the NFL, they took the money and run which meant that there were going to be a lot less practices, a lot less two-a-days, no hitting, particularly during the season. They killed that game, and particularly for the offensive and defensive line. The offensive line doesn't know how to pass protect. The offensive line is not used to getting hit. The quarterbacks are not used to getting hit. So therefore, you have more injuries than ever. And look, so, look at that picture. Come on, where were we? Yankee Stadium, nineteen seventy-eight, and George Steinbrenner came on the show. Okay, I remember that. Right, but good job. Well, believe me, my mind's still going. So, it is going. so, so, what has happened is you guys have to appreciate this. I mean, they look like windmills out there. Well, the the, the offensive line. The, and the players will tell you, we don't hit enough. We don't have enough uh, padded practices. All of these uh, YPOs and all this other crap that they do in the offseason, it means nothing. Why are these quarterbacks getting hurt so much? Why? Because no. they have they have no protection. They, they look at all the, the rules are in their favor. Every every offensive line looks like the Titanic going down. They're, they're, watch, I watch that offensive line, all of them, very closely. The quarterback has no chance, and that's why you've seen the advent of you don't want to draft a quarterback today unless he can run. If he can't run, uh, whether it's the RPOs, if he can't move, he can't move in the pocket, he's dead meat. If you stand there and with the least pass protection, your knee's going to go out, you're going to get hit. 
I mean, it's, it's just, it's a well, total. Let me, ask you, let me ask you guys both this. You think Belichick's big mistake, the biggest mistake that he's made, forget Mac Jones and Zappi and the way he's handled that. His biggest mistake was ignoring the offensive line. Basically not building himself a pro quality offensive line. I, I'm just asking both of you, Mike. I, I think that every team, the teams that are up here, the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, even the Chiefs, um, the Eagles, they all have two or three guys that can catch a pass and outrun everybody. You see uh, C.D. Lamb the other night run away from the uh, the Dolphins. You see um, um, uh, the uh, uh Dolphins guys run away from the, the Cowboys guys. We don't have anybody that can separate. Everything we do is like a three-yard horizontal pass that travels about 60 yards to the sideline and a gain of two. Um, Patriots just don't have – and they, they, they always they – always the offensive line, I'll agree. I think Belichick always found it was easier to find, you know, a, a, an undrafted guard a versatile guy that that, that that could play. He doesn't have those guys anymore. But they don't have game breakers. They don't have guys that, that can turn a game around. You see a D.D. Samuel for the 49ers? Are you yeah. kidding me? Nobody like that. We have nobody like that. Nobody like C.D. Lamb. Nobody well, like, uh, what's his name, the, the Tyreek Hill for the Miami Dolphins. Nobody. Well, I, I, and I, I would add to that. <clears throat> that and, and, let me, that's why I say – Forget about a quarterback. Marvin Harrison is your guy if he's available. That's the guy you want to take. Well, I, I unless there's a, a quarterback there that you think really, uh, I, I would favor Harrison. I would favor an offensive line. I, be there. Now, number four, I don't think he'll be there. That's beside. Who That's knows? Beside. I mean, we'll we'll see how it ends up. But but I think the other thing is, to me, even with their greatest teams. Belichick paid no attention to the offense. I mean, you you look at it, he had Brady, the greatest, one of the greatest in my mind of all time, who could do it all. So therefore, he had average to a degree, except for Randy Moss receivers. He had a great tight end uh, and with Gronk. But basically, Belichick, if you watch him, even to today, he wants defense. He thinks you still win on defense. Those days are going. And and he didn't do a lot to help the offense. Uh, for some reason or another, that's been his mindset. So he did really nothing. And it's interesting. If you read Shakespeare or, or King Lear or any of this stuff, this is really a kind of a football tragedy. This is a guy that basically... Could have been. See, I don't think he's the greatest coach of all time. Uh, and my my reason is that basically he was a coach and the general manager, which you don't do either, except for here. He killed himself. His drafts were pathetic the last four or five years. He never replenished anything. And then he made the biggest mistake of them all and more of ego than actually of, of saying this guy can still play and letting Brady go. That was an ego thing. That wasn't, if you watch Brady play, you would say he didn't really lose anything. 
and and you saw it again in Tampa, and even yeah, the second. Let me ask you this, because every one of these pieces of information is part of an overriding soap opera. So let me ask you this: Kraft tells Belichick, "Get rid of Garofalo." Right or wrong? Is that where it started? I'm not yes. sure. Well, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Thinks that's the way. That's the story. Went from there. Yes, Kraft absolutely. tells Belichick, get rid of Garofalo. And then in the end, Belichick tells Kraft, get rid of Brady. That's kind of what happened, isn't that? What? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't totally agree with you guys. Well, that's good. Well, that's what you totally agree with. Tell us. I, 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 I think it was a combination of things. I think less of Kraft and more of Brady. He saw, he saw that Brady, who was still, you know, very, very effective, uh, that he saw with Brady that Brady was really getting pissed off and it wasn't working with the team. And maybe Kraft did step in, we'll never know. But I think it was Bel I think Belichick had been, I think Belichick cre created the Frankenstein monster and then wanted to destroy him. And, and when you look at it, I mean, I, I don't think they basically ever really got along. Uh, in many ways, once Brady really, you know, really started to get going. Belichick, you know, think think about who was the one that wrote the definitive book on the Patriots and said it was fed to him by one of the assistant coaches that Belichick felt or the Patriots felt that, that basically they could plug anybody in there as quarterback and still win with his system. Is that Benedict? Is that his book on the dynasty? Uh, yeah, I think it was, but but it, it isn't true, it, and it wasn't true. So look where you have. And the other thing is, I again being an owner at one time, the son of an owner, is your responsibility is to your franchise. If Belichick had come in to me and said he wanted to get rid of Brady. I would tell I would tell him in a nice enough way, I will get rid of you before I get rid of Brady. Because that's when it all went south. The whole thing. Yeah. They could have ironically, uh, uh, Mike and Bob, if he had kept Brady, even though in 2019, after they won the Super Bowl, uh, they didn't have a, a great year. They went to the playoffs and lost to, to Mike Frabel's team. But when you really look at it, the responsibility of the owner was to say, look, I'm not going to allow it. You guys work it out. You don't. $25 million. And, of course, we see what that what that means today. But that's if, if you look at it, Belichick always has been a defensive coach who, who to me, tolerates offense. And, and that is what has brought him down along with being a terrible general manager. Now, that's the other point <clears throat> is that most teams are designed, even if the coach has the most authority, they're designed where you have a general manager and you have a coach. Now, why did Kraft go to this thing? because Kraft runs his other businesses this way. And I would have said to him if he had asked me, this ain't your other businesses. Football generally runs 
on a general manager and a coach. Now, you might give the coach more power, but you still have a general manager. You want somebody in there to say no. Who the hell says no? There's one one missing link to this whole thing when it all went south. And you might think I'm crazy unless you you, – Ernie Adams. Ernie Adams. You see the headset Belichick wears on the sidelines? When Ernie Adams was there, it was a direct line to Ernie Adams upstairs. Every single – I've seen the raw tapes that never made air. What do we got, Ernie? What are we doing, Ernie? Who is that guy, Ernie? How far? How far? How far can we kick this field goal, Ernie? Well, which way? To, uh, how's the wing going to affect this punt, uh, Ernie? Should I, should, I, uh, should I put a rush on there, Ernie? Ernie, should we put a blitz here, Ernie? Can this guy run, Ernie? Can this guy make two yards? No. Everything was Ernie, no. Ernie, 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 Ernie. Who had an encyclopedic mind? Was a brilliant guy. Didn't even know how to turn on a computer. Okay, he was almost like Rain Man. He just he just had an answer for everything. If you watch before a game, Ernie would be out there just watching the other guy, the other guy, other field goal kicker. And in his mind, he would register every kick he attempt, 42, 48, right hash, left hash, 56 yards. And he would be absolutely right. He said, don't go for the go, go, go for it on fourth down here. Vinatieri can't make it from this distance going this end of the stadium. Other end of the stadium, he'll make it. And he was right. But this, this guy, his absence has been a big, big crutch. Um, taken away from Belichick. I, I I do agree, particularly on game day. <clears throat> but again, I think uh, because Kraft, two things. Uh, there are a lot of things I hold him responsible for uh, besides Belichick. And, and that is having one person because it costs you less. He'll deny it. But, but it is absolutely true. You have one person on all those different companies. I don't know one person, one coach outside of maybe Vince Lombardi that had total authority. Because the minute you do that, you're you're kind of giving your franchise away. The other thing that, and I've talked to many of the Patriot players, is it creates resentment. When, the, when you come in for a raise and you have to come into the coach instead of the general manager, and look at what they did here. How many people went out of here? I've looked at all the different franchises along the years in the NFL. This is this is the only franchise where practically every player walked out of here pissed off. And, and that's because the coach, uh, whatever he feels, you know, you, and, and one of the players did say this. You know, you walk in, you think you've had a great year, and this guy tells you, you, you know, you're not going to make very much money. You don't want to, and I – one of the things I learned from Shula was when he was in Miami and even at the Colts, and he said to me one day, he said, you know what? One thing I will never do, no matter how much power I have, I will not negotiate contracts with players. You just make enemies of the people you want to coach. And I think this has been very bad here. On top of the other, the other part of this huge puzzle, that we're seeing now coming down in a very negative way is they'll, the the craft will say, and Belichick, we spent to the cap, but they didn't go out and get the big free agents. And that's what the game is today. You need, you, you need a quick fix. You don't wait for the draft. You go out and get the free. 
They are the lowest spending, among the lowest spending teams in all of football. I put that back on Kraft. He might deny it, but I put that back on him as well as Belichick. So there's a lot of things that are interconnected here that have to do with the situation you're in now. And it's going to... Overriding all this, overriding the entire soap opera. I keep asking myself the question and have for a long time, for years actually, keep asking myself the question, why do we care so much? Why we made this such a soap opera that it's everything everybody talks about. All they care about is this Belichick coming back. Who's going to replace him? Is Gerard Mayo running people the wrong way? What is the problem here? Why do we care so much about this? Well, I don't. It's more, well. I'm interested. I'm interested. But you know what? It says we, we don't have much going on with the rest of our lives. Well, Mike, what do you think? No. I mean, something happens to us here, and not, not just here in New England, and everywhere. We get emotionally attached to a team, and we invest so much in it that we just can't get ourselves out of it. And that happens with the Red Sox. It is now happening with the Patriots. Bruins fans feel the same way, and so do Celtics fans. Um, football is king. And when things are great, we have nothing to complain about. But when it's miserable, we're miserable. And unfortunately, that, that's the way we are. But we should be worried about uh, taking a nice walk in the woods today. And I now do. About, you know, is Belichick going to last in the last two games? Here, here's what, what I, again, going back and learned when I was starting out uh, going to training camps with my father in 1946, nine years old. He said, remember something. If a writer, broadcaster asks you, who are you rooting for? Who do you like? Because he had been the Eagles and Steelers owner and, and loved the Bears. And he said, you are to say I am neutral. You know, I don't root for any team. And I started that as a kid to the point of where I root secretly or otherwise to see a great game, to see a great dynasty. But I don't get, I don't, I think my perspective is, and maybe you guys disagree, that you have to love something. But my perspective is the only way I can love something is by standing back from it. I don't get involved. You know, I don't care one way or another. All I ask is, as they say, a good performance. I think that's fair. It's like you've taken a fan vaccine, like COVID. You've taken yeah. instead of a COVID vaccine, you've taken a fan vaccine. You're vaccinated against becoming a fan. And because when you become a fan, you do cross over a line from appreciating the entertainment value versus rooting for a win or a loss. And and that's that's how you get them hooked. But on the but, but on the other hand, let, let's look at the Patriots and the Red Sox in particular. And the Red Sox are relying upon people still wanting to see this historical ballpark. And I think that's really getting old. And I, I, I think particularly, I would say the Red Sox fans better become cynical because your owner is cynical. He doesn't give a shit. You know, he's... He's in a different world now, race cars, uh, golf, uh, a lot of other things. He's Soccer. won his thing. 
He's got he's he's made his conquest. He's won his girl. He married her and now he wants to dump her. So that to, to me, that's a bigger disgrace. The Patriots, I do really think the compelling thing about this story is the coach still wants to coach. The coach is still somewhat of a brilliant guy. The coach loves what he's doing. The owner loves the publicity, loves the idea of being a kingpin, loves to be on TV, feels like it's his family. And now he has got to make a decision of cutting somebody from his family. And it ain't going to be difficult. Or it is going to be difficult. I didn't think it was, but it's going to be now. That's the soap opera. I separate myself from the fan, but I love all the elements. It's 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 a he has made it into a great mystery. No, it's a Macbeth. It's Macbeth. Lady Mac. Well, is he is he Lady Macbeth or is, yeah? That it, 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 it would you, would you agree that it is really Shakespearean? Yes, well, I think it's no. I think it's absolutely. I only wish Bill were here. Bill Shakespeare, not Bill O'Brien or Bill Belichick. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare. Hey, let me, get, let me uh, get right. a, Come on, do the story. My good friend George Gray. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about a new vehicle, go where Lowy and Lynchy go. Go see our good friend, the Big Wheel himself, George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years because we know that George Gray and his staff will treat you right. They're a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the big wheel himself, George Gray, at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. George is a great guy. Um, he fills a big truck with toys for Christmas and brings them in, doesn't accept any credit, any publicity. He's a wonderful guy. I've uh, been a customer for years. Lowy's been a customer for years, and you'll do right by George Gray, the big wheel, we call him. So, so even though I don't drive anymore, uh, uh, Joanne, do you want to get a car? She's laughing. <laughs> Tell George Gray, Joanne might want to get a car. If she does, she'll go in and see him. Yeah. Okay. He's the man. He's the big wheel. Hooray for George Gray. <laughs> hey, I was watching, I don't know, might have been Twitter or something or TikTok. Um, <clears throat> it was just a little uh, a little exchange. There was the captain's handshake, and Dick Butkus was playing for the for the Bears, and they were playing at Buffalo. I don't know who was the Buffalo captains, but they were out there, and at the end, they shook hands like, okay, good luck today, good luck today. And they turned as they turned around, Butkus goes, assholes. <laughs> and, and that's, that, that's another lost tradition. And now everybody hugs, they kiss, they exchange jerseys. I, I knew Butkus and Sayers both. And and if you ask me that the greatest draft I've ever seen in one day were both of them taken in the first round. And, and when I sent one of our coaches out to scout Butkus, who I'd seen, he just wrote two words, radar knows, get him. That's what he thought about. There, there was nothing like it. Here's what I do miss a little bit. Can we stop the hugging, the the uh, exchanging of, of game jerseys? But more importantly, I'm really beginning to get pissed off with the end zone celebrations. Jesus Christ. 
if, if I want to see a Broadway play uh, or a movie, do I have to watch this on it? They treat every play, even a tackle, like it's orgasm. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. What's that? Huh? I'm sorry, never mind. What's orgasm? I was just going for a clarification. I just was trying to. <laughs> what's happened is everything you've said has happened. You know, flags, you know, players complaining on every play. I got flagged. I got held. Players, you know, offensive linemen that say they've never held and it's they got their arms wrapped around. It's all the same thing. And then you got old ladies, elderly ladies sliding down hills on sleds. You got geckos. You got emus. You got, you know, too much magic. These are the things that have filled our lives. Everything's kind of built into a package. Wouldn't you say it's kind of shallow? Well, that's, my point is, why, this goes right back to my question. You know, we're supposedly intelligent part of the species on the planet. Why do we care so much? Predicted. Mike, do you have to go? Uh, well, yeah. You, uh, what? It, 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 it is addiction. But, but on the other hand, explain to me... Uh, why half the country or more would would go for a guy like Trump who, ba forget your politics, but I can go all the way back and tell you with him going back in the 70s when a sports writer called me and said to me about Trump, he said he's the biggest phony I've ever been around. He said, I don't get it. But I mean, the, we, we, are, we are in the time of uh, plasticness. Everybody's got a deal everybody is plastic everybody hugs i mean you uh, i mean you you would think that we're all the way on a private island somewhere <clears throat> where everybody's in a love fest and yet <clears throat> i predict that the tv if it continues people will over a period of time right now it is the biggest thing uh but over a period of time people will the human race eventually gets tired of things. And how tired they'll get of this, I don't know. But right now, it's the thing. But we'll see. You know what I want to find out? Christmas Day. Always, It's been owned by the NBA for so many years. Who had better ratings? Did the NFL have better ratings? Or did the NBA have better ratings on Christmas Day? I'm guessing the NFL. I, I would guess too, but I, I, I don't have any way of... of course, I, I mean, I... I <clears throat> Uh, on, until the Celtics played the, the Lakers, I always avoided Christmas Day basketball. I mean, that puts you to sleep. You can wake up in the fourth quarter in the last two minutes and wh whatever else. It is. That still holds within. But but the other thing is, what does it also say about us on, on these important holidays of family and whether you believe in something or religion or whatever else it is, that, that the religion has become sports? I think that's dangerous. Every, and I, state, I, every stadium was banged out in the NFL on Christmas. Yeah, what's that say? They can't stand being uh, being with their family. You know, we want to get away from these jerks for an hour. <laughs> I mean, there's there's so many things there. Uncle Earl's coming over. I'm going to go to the game. <laughs> you what? Uncle Uncle Earl is coming over. I'm going to go to oh, the game. Sure, yeah. sure. 
But but All right, we, get, we should go because uh, Lynchy's got therapy he's got to deal with. <laughs> Not emotional. Therapy. I got therapy too, Bob. You know, okay, I know. I, I, need, I need to speak to Sigmund Freud and find out who's on the double header. Are you kidding me? Okay, that's good. Another great so, job, Upton. So we solved it now. We haven't really zeroed in on the Red Sox, except uh, uh, you brought up the owner, but I think it's more Tom Werner than anybody else right now. We're in football mode right now. I, I, I will say again, the national religion is the National Football League, at least for now. But I think that they've got to change certain things. They now want to go to China. They're, they're going everywhere else. That's another thing. Here's what I really am bothered about for the player. It's now 17 games. It'll be 18 games. It'll eventually be 20. There, you're you're going to get on a plane and you're going to fly to Saigon and you're going to play a game there. And then you're going to come back and and not be very good for two or three weeks. I asked 1963, uh, the Colts had bought a sauna. And so I used to go in the sauna with the players on Monday. And I asked the players then, and I say it applies even today. I said, tell me how long from a Sunday game it takes you to recover, like you feel your full body back. And every one of the players said the same thing. Saturday, maybe Sunday morning. So think about that then when the players weren't as big. No, they hit like they did, as vicious as ever. Think about the guy that has to play on a Sunday and then turn around and play on Thursday. You ask me... You ask me why so many injuries? The body doesn't recover. It's like us after a sports cast on a Monday night. You know, I'm, I'm not ready to come back till Wednesday or Thursday. See, tough. The, the 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 body doesn't recover, and now you're talking about guys that are going on to 400 pounds. Imagine <laughs> getting hit. What? Why are the quarterbacks going down? Guys aren't protecting them, and they're getting hit in many ways. The speed of the game, if I told you from 1940 through the 50s, even even the 80s and 90s, what what's the big difference? I'd say the speed of the game, and when you hit with that velocity, uh, the body can't take it. Force, speed, and mass, physics. Yeah. I know they had that at Kent State. Um, Are you kidding me? I aced that. <laughs> Early in my Kent State career. All right, guys. Uh, great show. Bringing up Kent State because then I have to go into the Harvard thing, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, we can. Well, we can get in that the next one. So, anyway, guys, this is it for me. Is that? Well, it is for the moment. Oh. Oh. I, I, I mean, I expect another five hours, but that's okay. No, my last thing to you. We've all done sports talk on radio. Yeah. Like the NFL and its excess. Why do you need four hours when you can do it all in two hours, pack it in, have really good stuff like we used to? Now it's four hours of drag out, same bullshit. I mean, you can tune it in at one and come back at four, and it's the same old thing. Why do we need that? I, I understand. 
not a matter of need up to this, a matter of opportunity Money. to make advertising dollars. There it is. But but if you would say, what's the ideal uh, talk show? I say two hours, in and out. Have them come back for more. Now it's drone on. Oh my God! And some of the some of the people that they throw out there now. I, I, you know what? I I much rather. Another, that's another time. We can after the football season's over. We can you know access and talk about the excess of <laughs> talk radio. Here, but, here, are my, here are my predictions in case you guys don't have me back on. Here it is. The Ravens definitely in the Super Bowl. And on the other side, uh, it will either be the Eagles or the 49ers. I don't like either team, uh, but that's what I think you're going to see. Fair. The most exciting player in pro football is Jackson. And just remember that the Patriots had an opportunity to take him on the second round. Josh McDaniels went down and looked at him, really liked him. Now, you could say bye-bye to Brady if you had Jackson here. That guy is electric. Is he going to get hurt? Absolutely. Has he been hurt? Absolutely. But, boy, he gives you a dimension that's unbelievable. Yeah. He is something else. All right, Upton, thank you. Robert, we'll see you all next week. All right, guys. Happy New Year. All right, make sure you follow us on unanchoredboston.com. Unanchored Boston is a Burke Advertising LLC production. To learn more, go to unanchoredmedia.com.